either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, not the heavy-hitting, star-studded week that uh, was last week at the movies, but that was a holiday weekend after all. But uh, definitely some good movies to talk about this week, so let's do that. Welcome back into the screening room, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com. Let's start out with that holiday feeling. When a group of mercenaries attack the estate of a wealthy family, Santa Claus must step in and save the day and save Christmas. This is Violent Night. Who is he? Because he's not your typical mall Santa. Santa, are you there? Daddy said you were very busy tonight. My name is Trudy Lightstone. Are you going to help us, Santa? Yeah, Trudy. Santa? No, my nice list. Time for some season's beatings. Who the hell are you? Boss, what if he really is the real? No such thing as Santa. Oh, and you remember the first time I saw that trailer, I said, oh, I guess Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I tell you, I, I didn't know how right I was because this is not only Die Hard, it's a lot of Die Hard 2 and uh, and some Home Alone thrown in there as well because Santa Claus, the real Santa Claus, uh, played by David Harbour, and he is a hoot, by the way, uh, he, he's jaded. Kids are all little shits, and they're all just greedy, and he thinks maybe this might be his last Christmas, going to hang it up. Well, he uh, becomes... The John McClane, who is stuck, unbeknownst, he's the fly in the ointment at this big mansion of the the Lightstone family compound. And he's in there for Christmas delivering some presents to actual uh, a girl on the nice list. True. Uh, short for, uh, short for uh, Gertrude. Uh, but the rest of her family, not so nice. They're incredibly wealthy, and they're all greedy, and they're all just try- trying to uh, cozy up to the matriarch, played by Beverly D'Angelo, by the way. Nice to see her. Um, so we've seen that trope before, and uh, we've seen the the uh, themes about, you know, eat the rich and the, and the rich are horrible. We're seeing a lot of that lately for, for good reason. But anyway, they've got millions of dollars in the vault. So John Leguizamo and his crew decide to invade on Christmas Eve and uh, get all that money. And uh, so they're the Hans Gruber and the uh, the terrorists coming in. And Santa turns out to be the John McClane. And and they do realize it. I mean, they name-check Die Hard, which is nice. Uh, And they they name-check Home Alone because, true, the young girl starts setting all these booby traps uh, for the terrorists, for the thieves, just like she saw in the Home Alone movie. So they... So they're very self-aware that way, but I'll tell you, they just take shots, call them homages, I guess, directly from not only Die Hard, but Die Hard 2, because there's a lot of snow here. And uh, that checks out because the director is Tommy Wercola from the Dead Snow series, Dead Snow and Dead Snow 2. The uh, the unusual bit, I guess, the writers, Pat Casey and Josh Miller, they come from the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise. And Sonic the Hedgehog too, so it's kind of a clash of tones as the movie is as well, because there's a lot of fun with the violence. You know, once 
Well, Santa starts really busting some heads and delivering season's beatings, which I was disappointed to see that line is not actually in the movie. It's just in the trailer. But uh, turns out Santa has an interesting backstory of who he was before he became Santa. So that comes into play a little bit. But it's fun and it's violent and it's gory. You know, it's it's fun in adult sort of way for sure. But then it also starts to, tries to have its cake and eat it too, I guess. Tries to work in these themes, these heartfelt themes about, you know, the belief in Christmas and things like that. And so that sort of clashes. I was I was almost hoping that they just went full on bad Santa because uh, he certainly is. Santa is certainly has a bit of bad Santa in him. But uh, they they try to put in some of these some of these more you know family and and, and Christmas feeling type warm fuzzies in there, which which clashes a little bit with the fun going on as they find out once they they try to open the vault. You know, very diehard as well, getting in that vault and oh, the money that they thought was in there, all these millions, uh, is not. And so that becomes a little uh, a little mystery and and what really happened to the money and who. What members of this family are double-crossing whom? And, uh, you know, and true, all she wants is for her parents to get back together because they're estranged. And, uh, you know, Santa is going to see what he, what he can do about that. So that that's part of the warm fuzzies. But the fun here, obviously, is David Harbour as a head-busting uh, Santa Claus and uh, and all the fun you can get with that foul mouth, of course, and this R-rated uh, Christmas Christmas adventure that just homages. I keep saying homages because I don't want to say rips off. I mean, it's very, it's very upfront about what it's doing with Die Hard and Die Hard Two, and it's, of course, you know how much I love that franchise. Um, so I was digging that, and as just an off, you know, a, a different kind of Christmas adventure, definitely R-rated, definitely for the adults. It is fun. It is fun. It's not as much fun, I guess, as I was hoping for. I thought maybe, like I said, if they went go, just went full go in that in that really ornery, bloody, R-rated direction. I think maybe it might have worked just a little bit better. But it is fun. I do I do recommend it. You want to get out with just uh, you know leave the kids at home and have some Christmas fun and just uh, root for a a real violent Santa Claus <laughs> having a violent night. This will certainly fit the bill and see if you can just just bring a scorecard and see if you can just just check off all the Die Hard and Die Hard Two references that you can find because there are plenty. And stick around through the midway through the credits. There's a little bit a little bit extra there. As well, but uh, yeah, it's it's a fun it's a fun Christmas gig. Violent Night in theaters now. David Harbor, a very bloody bloody Santa Claus, uh, inducing some harm and making it a very cruel Yule. Violent Night. Next up, the latest from oh one of our very favorite actors, Tilda Swinton, in this ghost story from acclaimed filmmaker Joanna Hogg. A middle-aged daughter and her elderly mother must confront long buried secrets when they return to their former family home a once grand manor that has become a nearly vacant hotel brimming with mystery. This is called The Eternal Daughter. The longer we're here, the more it comes back. The dread. What kind of dread? I just want you to be happy. I'm trying all the time. This place prompted memories. That's what rooms do. They hold these stories. Some of them are uncomfortable. We're here now. And that was then. 
sure I feel I have a right to do such a thing. It feels like trespassing. Happy birthday, Mum. To us. So no, not everybody is familiar with Joanna Hogg, but man, has she impressed us. She really has. And with Tilda Swinton, um, she did a fantastic movie called The Souvenir. Oh, yes. Yeah, so and good. then The Souvenir Part 2. Yeah. Now, I think we both like The Souvenir, the first Souvenir better. Yes. But, uh, the the but, first Souvenir was a borderline master. It was so good. But the second one was good as well. But it's amazing how Joanna Hogg, with this film as well, is able to tie together telling a story and then yet telling us how she tells a story. I don't yeah. want to give away too no. much here, but The Souvenir did that so well. It really did. And, and this one is very much in the same vein uh, as it is a, a ghost story. It, it, it's not certainly not a horror movie, but no. it, boy, it really has that gothic feel. They're in this big old manner, and she uses the camera to such good effect with some of these classic horror movie shots yes. and camera work, and, and everything is very eerie. And, of course, Tilda Swinton playing two parts is magnificent. Yeah, and if we didn't mention it already, she plays, Tilda Swinton plays both the middle-aged filmmaker and also her own mother. Mm-hmm. And it's, and you know, and the, the, the filmmaker's name is Julie, which was also the name of the filmmaker in The Souvenir and The Souvenir Part yeah. 2. And Julie's mother was, in both cases, played by Tilda Swinton, who now plays the older, same filmmaker, we can assume. And... Tilda Swinton's real-life daughter yeah, was, the, was the main character. In The Souvenir. Yeah. And uh, The Souvenir Part 2. Yeah. And the the filmmaker character is clearly a version of Joanna Hogg, the writer-director herself. So this movie, I mean, it, you, you'd expect it to collapse on itself with the way that it does this. And and I don't think anybody could maneuver that. It's amazing that anybody can maneuver that ground as well as Joanna Hogg does. Yeah, she really does. And, and just sets the mood of this, this spooky mood so early. Because they check into this. It used to be the family estate, but now, as the synopsis said, it's a, it's a like a hotel, a guest guest house, and things like that. But it's a sprawling estate. Yes. But, but when they first check in, first of all, the woman at the front desk, pretty rude. Yeah. And there just doesn't seem to be anyone else around except, oh, is that a shadow in the window? Is that a person? What's going on? So there's really some spooky, possibly eerie stuff happening, and it's all just mood. It really is. And Tilda Swinton in both roles, as if we needed more proof of what a master she is at her craft. But We don't really. No, but, we don't. But here and, it is And the other proof. thing we were talking about is that it, anytime you can have two Tildas in your movie, and a lot of people <laughs> have done it. In yeah. fact, in, in Suspiria, she plays three roles. Look mm-hmm. at Guadagnino Suspiria. In Pinocchio right now, she voices two characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking she, about the Coen Brothers movie. Hail Caesar. Hail Caesar. She plays two characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in this one, she plays the two leads. Yeah. You know, and you, you it, it sounds like a gimmick, but you pretty quickly forget that. Yeah. Um, she has completely filled out each of these characters, and they feel like, importantly, they feel like two people who really know each other. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, the performances are very tinged by kind of longing, regret. Very much so. Um, yeah, you know, ghosts. the sacrifices that you make for the benefit of the other person. Mm-hmm. And ghosts of the past. Yeah. Um, and, and, and just a very gothic feel. But again, it's a story about the inspirations of stories and yes. how stories are told. And that's about as much as we can say. Yeah. But uh, even, even if you sort of guess 
where it's going, it's still very, very effective. Yeah. And uh, and just another, the way Joanna Hall makes films is just amazing. I can't think of anyone else who does it like this. No. Um, because this is how she continues in this vein with the two souvenir movies and now this one. Very similar. So we'll just see if this is what she's going to do. I mean, <laughs> it's not bad. No. But it's no. It's, we've it's, we all three have been very yeah, good. They really have been. So uh, very very worthwhile and a recommendation. Uh, we'd recommend it for Tilda anyway. But the the two of them work together. Johanna Hogg and Tilda Swinton. I mean, if you know, because it is kind of being played, uh, marketed as a, a ghost story. Certainly, maybe even a bit of a horror movie. And I feel like fans of the genre are not going no. are are going to be dissatisfied by right. it. Right. But if you like that mood, eerie, yeah. chilling yeah. sort of thing like that, mm-hmm. if that's what you like, that it, it does deliver that. Absolutely. Uh, and that is uh, in theaters now called The Eternal Daughter. Next up is a based-on-true-events drama that is getting some early Oscar buzz for one of the co-stars. A young gay black man, rejected by his mother and with few options for his future, decides to join the Marines, doing whatever it takes to succeed in a system that would cast him aside. This is called The Inspection. They kicked you out, didn't they? My mom? She won't even talk to me. Most of my friends are dead or in jail. If I die in this uniform, I'm a hero. Somebody. Boot camp is supposed to break you down. Wanna go home? If we leave, they win. Why is this weapon your best friend recruit? Because it's the thing that protects the Marine to my left and to my right, sir. I could have left you at any doorstep. I have never giving up on us. Well, this is from writer-director Elegance Bratton. Love that name, first of all. Mm-hmm. And this is based on his own life. It is based on his own life. And I'm glad about that because this film is quite frustrating and probably because it looks more like real life than you want it to. Like, you really, you know what I mean? Like, you're watching a movie and you think, I would like for this to happen right now, and it it doesn't. And um um and and that's very interesting. And it's it's also very interesting to me because, in a lot of ways, it's it's got you know, tremendous similarities to, for example, an officer and a gentleman. You know, I got no place else to go. Right? Mm-hmm. He gets into the Marines because he's uh, he's homeless, and because he wants so badly to prove something to his mother, and he wants. And he, I mean, he explains it at one point, the, what it was that drove him to be in the Marines, regardless of the fact that he knew he was going to have to hide who he is. And and that's a pretty common, I mean, stripes today. I mean, that's a pretty common premise for a film. But the fact that, first of all, this is a true story, and then where it takes it is really fascinating because you know that Ellis French is probably in more jeopardy in the Marines than he was on the street or it's pretty close. I mean, and they, they don't, they don't shy away from that at all. So his resilience, mm-hmm. his courage is, is remarkable. And also the dumbass things he does. That's what makes it really <laughs> frustrating. You're like, Oh my God. But you know, uh, since it's the filmmaker's own story, that itself is an act of bravery that he's, he's not polishing over that at right. all. Right. And he's played by Jeremy Pope uh, plays Ellis. And in, in some ways, once he's in the Marines, it reminds it remind me of some of the territory that we just talked about with devotion last week. Yes, yeah. About how 
a person of color in this situation is giving more to their country than they're getting in return. Well, and this one being 50 years later, it's mm-hmm. it's it's you know, there are a lot of people of color in his in his platoon, but there are no gay men in his right. platoon and and he's yeah, he's giving more than he's probably getting back. Yeah, and his mother uh, is played by Gabrielle Union, who is clearly the best performance of her career, and oh, she's no. getting some early Oscar buzz here. You know, he deserves it as well. It's a, His performance is remarkable, but yeah, Gabrielle Union, it, 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 like nothing you've ever seen her mm-hmm, in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and this one is, I said, it's, it's not the debut for Elegance Bratton, but boy, this is a it's, it's a breakout. Yes, it is. Yeah, absolutely, it is. Yeah, writer director based on his own life, and that makes it incredibly really when you know that and you watch it even more enthralling, even more gripping. No question, because like you said, he's not sugarcoating no his own faults no uh, in this, and that is called the inspection, and it is out uh, in theaters now. A documentary next, new one from celebrated filmmaker Luca Guadagnino. It's the life of Italian shoemaker Salvatore Ferragamo who created shoes for Hollywood stars during the silent film era and for iconic films of the period. This is called Salvatore, Shoemaker of Dreams. You know, when you look at Marilyn Monroe's shoes and you think of her and the way she pranced around in them, she must have been very comfortable. He had the secret. I had worked for a major establishment and mastered the art of shoemaking. I felt I was ready to open a shop of my own. I was 12 years old. If I went to America, I could learn their tricks. I began to dream. In a sense, it must have been an act of freedom, a chance to create yourself. It is on the comfort that I have built all my dreams. Passion with a comfort, that's what I give. So if you really loved Bones and All last weekend and you want to see right. a completely different movie, <laughs> Guadagnino has a documentary about shoes. Yeah, I think this has been actually done for a couple of years, but uh, making it to select theaters now. And it's fascinating, even if you think, well, what do I care about, sh- <laughs> you know, shoes and footwear? And it's it's fascinating right from the, from the beginning. He brings you and he just shows you shoes being assembled. There's no music. It's just silent. And we watch for 30 seconds or a minute, these shoes being assembled, and it's oddly transfixing. <laughs> and it just sets you up for this story. It's more of a story of this man. Fascinating. Fascinating really man. really is. Truly is. And there's very little, Guadagnino has very little um, actual footage of Ferragamo or recordings of his voice. But what he does use, he uses to good effect. And mm-hmm. early on, you just hear him saying, I love feet. They speak to me. And just he just admits from the time he was a small boy, he loved feet and he <laughs> loved shoes. And he was an, um, from Italy, a small village near Naples. And he opened his first shop when he was 12 years old That's as a shoemaker. Yeah. It's, and it just goes on and on and on. He, and he comes to America and he gets in. Uh, he settles in Santa Barbara, California, which before Hollywood, that was the epicenter of the film, the silent film era. And he started making shoes for these silent film stars and then... When the movie business moved to Hollywood, he did the same, and he had this this incredible clientele, and he and he came up with these innovations because he studied. He f- took the time to take classes at USC about anatomy, so he could learn more about the foot 
and learn more about designing shoes for comfort. And it's amazing yeah, it's, uh, yeah. to think about the innovations that he came up with that are still being used today and the styles as well. I mean, I would hardly call myself a style, you know, uh, some sort of uh, expert on style, especially shoes. But when they roll these things out, you're like, well, that's pretty impressive. That's a nice looking shoe. <laughs> you know, what we have often said is that when a documentary can, can open your eyes to something you had absolutely no idea about, and and really keep you engaged and invested yeah. and feel like you've learned something fascinating. I mean, that's that's really that's what it's all about. That's what that genre of filmmaking is yeah, about. Yeah, and it does, and it rolls out a lot of talking, you know, head interviews with family and friends, and and also Martin Scorsese uh, pops up in this. Which the more it goes along, it kind of makes sense because this man's story speaks to a lot of themes that he has explored in his movies. You know, it's about immigration yep. and, and dreams and and never giving up and American following your drama. D- yes, yeah. yes. So it really kind of follows. And of course, you know, uh, his, his Martin Scorsese's Italian heritage as well. But uh, it is. It's a fascinating story. And um, as it, I will say, the, the first two thirds are probably a little more inherently interesting just because of his his background and the way he, he got going and then hit it big and then lost everything and hit it big again is sort of more fascinating than later on uh, toward toward the end uh, before his death. Um, but that's still there's a warmth to that as well. But I'll tell you, stick it out toward the end, because, you know, we were talking just was it last week about white noise and the ending yeah. of white noise yeah. and the synchronized shopping. Hypnotic. Well, I've got one for you here because stick around to the end because uh, Guadagnino turns it over to this animation stop-motion artist who goes by the name of Pez who takes all these shoes from Ferragamo's designs and makes what he calls a shoe ballet with all these different styles of shoes. It's amazing. <laughs> you gotta, you got to stay there for it. So, <laughs> so yeah, this is a, another recommendation. Guadagnino has, uh, has two That's right. good ones out right now. And it's in select theaters called Salvatore Shoemaker of Dreams. Let's move to a horror thriller next. Immigrant nanny Aisha piecing together a new life in New York City while caring for the child of an Upper East Side family is forced to confront a concealed truth that threatens to shatter her precarious American dream. This is called Nanny. I've seen my son in almost a year. Your son? Yes. I need to bring him here. Very soon, I mean. Always very soon. Spirits have tried to warn you. Do not ignore the signs. You have yet paid me what I am owed. You think Cash is just laying around? I am a mother too. I thought so. I miss my country. Every day. You're gonna be okay? I wish I knew what's happening to me. This is from writer-director Nikyatu Jusu, and it's a somewhat familiar story about uh, an immigrant. She's a Senegalese immigrant, and she is trying to earn enough money to bring her son over to live with her. Anna Diop plays Aisha, and she takes a job with Michelle Monaghan's Upper East Side, Mm -hmm. New York, Upper Crust. Oh, yes. And uh, right away, you can tell where this is going. However... The way it gets there, the steps that it takes, even though this is this is I mean, I would say it's a horror film. There are um, there are monsters in it. There's a, a supernatural element to it, a strong supernatural element to it. But it feels more alarmingly true life 
than uh, a number of other films that sort of, you know, tread the same ground mm-hmm. about about the nanny and about, you know, you know, evils afoot and also about sort of the immigrant experience and the helplessness, the powerlessness in that dynamic. Um, this it's so just realistic. Um, and there are very few one dimensional characters. You know, the bad guys aren't one dimensional. And for some reason, the fact that they do, there are like rounded characters that you almost sort of root for. You certainly have some sympathy for when they do something. It makes it that much more of a gut punch. You know, you're like, this is how people get away with it because you don't hate them. They yeah. don't seem like they're bad. And yet look what they're doing. And yeah. yet they get away with it. It's so unnerving and in the, the way shifting, that's presented the shifting power structure between michelle monahan you know the, mm-hmm. the who's the the employer mm-hmm. let's call it and the the liberty she thinks she can take mm-hmm. with her employee yeah yeah realistic uh, is is a good word for it but yeah different kind of, you know we talked a little bit ago about uh the eternal daughter being not really a horror movie but spooky and this one you probably it's a little more a little more yeah, but it's not got, it's got a one foot firmly in the genre but just one just one. So don't expect blood and guts. No. But a little, close, a little closer to horror. So, so sad. That's what I think that the movie is really steeped in is just sadness. Just mm-hmm. It's a quite mournful film, but really beautiful. And this is in theaters now called Nanny. All right. Well, another horror film up next. Monique ventures out of quarantine to visit an old friend who's plagued by nightmares. She finds herself drawn into a hellish dreamscape where she must face her greatest fears or risk never having existed at all. This is called The Harbinger. It's like any dream. I can move around, but something else is making my choices. Then I get the bad feeling that he's there. Who? I saw him. It's happening to me too. Somebody was here. I have a family. People who need me. I think writer-director Andy Mitten has captured the feeling of the early pandemic and lockdown maybe better than any filmmaker. And we've seen a lot of these. But, um... It's not the movie never comes off as as like so we have lockdown and here's a gimmick like that's the premise. This movie is so so saturated with all of the ideas and the emotions and that feeling of being trapped and that nightmare concept of just people are dying, everybody's dying. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The the rot, the decay, but also I think especially what it captures is the is the feeling that probably people who ha- who were quarantining alone. And this fear that it was never going to end, that you, you know, right. and that you had nothing to do but think about it. You had nothing to do but think about death and about every horrible thing that was happening. And you were just hyper aware of it, but also that life somewhere was going on without you. Yeah. And that you were just being forgotten completely. Yeah. And it's not like when we say we've seen a lot of these these pandemic movies, that's a bad thing. It's going to happen and oh, it sure. should happen. Because it's an incredible global event that's, that is going to continue to affect artists for quite some time, as it should. But like any other story, it's how well do you tell it? And, uh, and that, is a, that is a good angle about the people who were by themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, and it's not just the premise. It's everything in the movie. Everything in the movie echoes with that, 
collective trauma meets existential dread, but that's mm-hmm. selling it short. It's it's not a perfect movie, and in the end, I think it's it's minor undoing is that it is so wedded to horror tropes. Yeah, because um because everything else that it's saying and it's 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 such a it holds up such a um, funhouse mirror to exactly what it was like that it's it's very affecting. Yeah, and Mitten did a couple of years ago did The Witch in the Window. Mm-hmm. You remember he did that uh, one? Yellow Brick Road uh-huh. as well, which yeah. was not quite as good, but it was a good first start. Yeah, so this is uh, available on VOD now. Worth a look, The Harbinger. A Spanish language horror flick is next. Psychological thriller bordering on the macabre, all in the form of an intimate drama. It's called Amigo. Well, that summary tells you nothing at all, does it? (laughs) (laughs) Macabre, drama, horror, psychological thriller. It is sort of a cross between whatever happened to Baby Jane misery and maybe the lighthouse okay yeah yeah yes uh so not a not a uh, a laugh riot no <laughs> why no <laughs> but one of the reasons that i was most interested in it is um javier botet plays javi and and he gets a story credit as well he does get a story credit as well and javier botet is he's sort of a doug jones he was slender man in slender man he was mama in mama he's yeah, a very unique looking person very that can be used to great effect right he's incredibly tall incredibly rail thin very long limbs very long and it, and it has to do with a, a a disorder that he's had since a child but he's a, he creates such a physical presence he was crooked man in in conjuring two mm-hmm um, and but you you don't ever get to see him just act, you know. He and so in this one, he's he's one of the two leads, and he's victim of a clearly quite debilitating car accident. And from the very beginning, we see his friend David David uh, carrying him from the car across the snow into the house into his own cozy bed. And and then and then he he uh, David sits on a rocking chair next to the bed. He's not leaving because Javi can't really talk. And how would he know if he if he needed something? And he's just he's happy. Mm-hmm. He's happy to be of service, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and and Javi is quite angry. But you think, well, you know, a lot of times somebody who finds themselves in this situation, I mean, it's not it's not David's fault. Javi's just angry. Ah. It's David's fault, everybody. And little by <laughs> Didn't little, see that coming. little by little, the power dynamic, the it's it's such a fascinating descent. Winter is is really hits this, the the roads are iced over. Nobody can get in. Nobody can get out. And things unravel very quickly. You know, it's almost a two man show. There are a couple of of small roles, people who come to visit just a couple of times, but it's mainly just these two characters. So, and David is played by David Pareja, and they have a great dynamic because he is very energetic, very full of life, as opposed to Botet, who's very withdrawn and gaunt and looks very much the victim in this. And and Pareja also gets a writing credit along with the uh, director, Oscar Martin. Right. It's such a fascinating movie. You think you know where it's going. It kind of goes where you know it's going. It's so, so well made. Um, It's a quick movie. It's about 80 minutes, but it's deliberately paced. To kind of to kind of resemble that descent into madness, mm-hmm. and and I'll tell you what the 
The final shot, it, truly, like, literally a nightmare for me. Like, like I have literally had that nightmare. Really, is, it leaves an impression, this movie. It definitely does. And that is on VOD now called Amigo. Another horror movie next. Keep them coming. A serial killer brings an unsuspecting new victim on a weekend getaway to add another body to his ever-growing count. She's buying into his faux charms, and he's eagerly lusting for blood. What could possibly go wrong? A wounded fawn. I have plans this weekend. The mystery. Yeah. Mystery man? What's right. What mystery man? I brought that record I was telling you about. Oh, great. To art and beauty. And the night ahead. forward to our time here together. This is the latest from Shudder. We just keep saying it. They got some good stuff on Shudder. Yeah, man. That's Get Shudder. Best bang for your buck right there is Shudder. And it's another one from Josh Rubin. Um, not that he's not directing it. He's just one of the two leads. He plays an art, sort of an acquisitions editor for art. He doesn't, he acquires them for other people. And that's how he meets his first victim, because she also does that for a living. And the movie is is just awash in these uh, sort of Greek um, mythological mm-hmm. concepts. And and so it takes a turn about midway through, and it not only changes perspective from his perspective to the perspective of Meredith, who's played by Sarah Lind. Um, and she's also great. She, I mean, she does a really good job because she's, she's really, uh, you know, she's a, she, her character is coming out of a bad relationship and trying to open herself up to this potential new relationship. So she's trying to make herself be open, but at the same time, not ignore the red flags that she ignored the last time. And it's, a, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a complex, complex character. She does a great job with it. A great job with it. Well, you know, we, we should have known we were going to like this because the co-director, no, the director and co-writers, Travis Stevens, who did both Girl on the Third Floor and Jacob's Wife. Yes. Huh? Good yeah. stuff there. Good so, stuff there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, you know, and yeah, he makes he makes quite an impression with this one because again, it gets very weird once we switch to Meredith's perspective, surreal even, and <laughs> and is and it's hard I think sometimes for a film to carry that kind of tonal shift off, but this one just glories in it, relishes it. It gets so weird, so well, interestingly so, and the last the last shot of the movie. It's got to be, It's. I mean, it, it feels like it was five solid minutes. Awkward, unblinking, weird as hell. The Just the, the, the chef's kiss for this movie. I'm telling you, this has been a good year. Not only a year, a good last six months of final shots. Yeah, you're not lying. There's been a bunch. You're right. You know, they just stay with you. You know, going back to decision to leave, oh, the yeah. shot there. And then we just talked about those, the, the two. Um, white noise. White and noise and uh, the shoe. Shoemaker. Shoemaker. These, these final shots or final sequences, love that. Something oh, to yeah. just leave you out of there going home. Remembering um, that movie. Yeah. Oh, and then, of course, we can't forget the, the mid credit scene in Wakanda forever. Oh, right. God. Well, to be honest, also, Amigo. Yeah. At the end of Amigo, it just killed me. Yeah, it's been good for that. It's been good for that. So, here's another winner from Shudder. It's and, and from uh, filmmaker Travis Stevens. It's A Wounded Fawn. Next is a Korean mystery, a spy movie based in the 1980s national security planning. This is called Hunt. 
반드시 독립이라고 생각해. This was reviewed uh, madwolf.com by Matt Weiner, and uh, a, a nice, a very good review for a film that he enjoyed. And it is complicated. Yes, it is. You know, sort of an internal investigation among the intelligence community. So it's like the federal intelligence versus state intelligence. And is there a mole? And who's willing to do the most damage to figure out who the mole is? There's arterial blood spray. There's a lot of torture sequences. There is a lot of action. There's a lot of gunplay. But at the same time, the characters get a lot of shading. There's some nuance to them. You, there, none of the, Nobody is completely black and white. There's double crossing, triple crossing. You're not sure who you like at the end or whether you're supposed to like anybody. I love that in a movie. Yeah, and it's not something that's going to break any new ground in the genre, but that's okay. It still delivers the thrills that you and the double crossing yes. that you come to expect from the genre. And the performances are great. Yeah, yeah, and definitely check out uh, Matt Weiner's review at madwolf.com. A recommendation for Hunt on VOD Now. And finally, an action comedy romance. An unmotivated South Asian-American rapper, along with three other first-time thieves, plans a heist on a grocery store owned by his ex-girlfriend's father in order to steal her wedding diamonds and disrupt her pending engagement. All just another one of those. This is called Four Samosas. You were the one who couldn't jump in all the way. What if I was ready now? Then you should tell me. Time till I relaunch myself upon the world. Let's go. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves, are we doing the right doing? Or are we just do doing around? It's a brighter day. You want a snack? Pani Puri? Bail Puri? Dai Puri? Chana Chat? Deli Chat? Samosa. Dokla? You don't want Dokla. Tori Haynes reviewed this one for us at MadWolf.com and very much enjoyed it. <laughs> and I think one of the things that makes it as enjoyable as it is, it's not asking too much of you. It's just funny. It's just funny. And and that's all it needs to be. I mean, yeah. it's not, you know, it's not an all-time classic. It's not one of those things that really has you scratching your head later and thinking it over. It's just funny. Yeah, and if you watch the trailer, you'll know not to expect... High budget production values, right. but at the same time, it can be funny. Right. And uh, she definitely appreciated that. So check out her review at madwolf.com. And she recommends Four Samosas. That's in select theaters now. And with that, let's check in to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby post-holiday with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. The Schlocketeer, for some new news. What's happening? Well, uh, Universal's recent rom-com, Bros, uh, will be available to stream on Peacock um, on December 2nd. So if you didn't catch it in theaters, you can watch it fairly soon. And there is a Grinch-themed slasher parody titled The Mean One that will be receiving a limited theatrical release uh, beginning on December 9th, followed by a VOD release later in the month. Yeah, you had to know that was coming. Once they did it to um, the uh, Banana Splits, I figured, uh, you know, the Grinch is going to be next. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess that's a pretty easy one to do if you're going for Christmas horror, too. Sure, you bet. Um, if anyone wasn't lucky enough to get to see uh, Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans in theaters, it will be hitting premium VOD on December 13th. So that'll probably be a $20 rental, but... It'll be a way to see it before uh, award season comes. Yeah, out. I was I was sad to see that didn't do well. It's a really really good movie, 
Um, and it and it looks great, you know, on the big screen. But uh, I understand they they got the numbers and they're rushing it out. Yep, uh, Top Gun Maverick will be available to stream on Paramount Plus beginning December twenty second. So that's another one people can finally catch up with if they don't want to pay the premium VOD price. Yeah, and it's back out right now in some theaters. It went out. It rolled back out for a couple of weeks right now, right? Yep, gonna keep making that money. Oh my lord! <laughs> How much can it make? <laughs> Apparently more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, last month, a Terror Train remake premiered on the free streaming service Tubi. I haven't seen it yet, but um, some that did seem to enjoy it. And anyone that did, I've got good news for you. There's a sequel on the way. Terror Train Two will hit Tubi on December 31st of this year. So they must have filmed them back to back. Wow, they had to have. And the wide release expansion for Sarah Polly's award contender, um, Women Talking, has been pushed back by two weeks until January 6th. Hmm. It'll still be platforming out in its limited release throughout this month, but it won't go wide until early January. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that because she's a really good filmmaker. She did a documentary years ago called uh, Stories We Tell that was one of my favorites of that year. She's really good. I've only seen the trailer for Women Talking, but it's really striking looking. Yeah, and it's definitely getting some awards buzz. You're right. Uh, on January 11th and 12th, Fat of the Events will be hosting special screenings of, hopefully, hoping to not butcher these names, uh, Shinji Higuchi and Hideaki Anno's Shin Ultraman, which is um, their thematic follow-up to the 2016 Shin Godzilla. I guess participating theaters will uh, screen the film in Japanese with subtitles on January 11th, and then in an English dub the following night on January 12th. Good job with the names. You did better than I would have. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's the second installment in their thematic Kaiju Disaster Trilogy, and the third one is titled Shin Kamen Rider, and that'll hit Japan in March, so it should be rolling out in the U.S. later in 2023. Okay. Uh, Lionsgate's moved up the release of its Gerard Butler actioner plane by two weeks to January 13th, so earlier Butler exploitation there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, January 13th is also the theatrical release that's been set for a movie called The Devil Conspiracy, which is apparently about a satanic cult stealing the Shroud of Turin for diabolical purposes. Ooh. Definitely a wild plot there. Yeah. And uh, festival darling uh, Korean action horror flick Project Wolf Hunting will debut on the streaming platforms Screenbox and Haya on May 15th. And Finally, Lionsgate has set a June 16th theatrical release for their slasher horror comedy, The Blackening. I know that got a lot of raves on the festival circuit, so the fact that they've set it for like a big midsummer release definitely seems to point towards them having some confidence on, on it. Must have. All right. Thanks again. You can always catch up on the latest news with The Schlocketeer. Follow him on socials at The Schlocketeer. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, looking ahead to next week, uh, one that, whoa, we saw this weeks ago. Finally get a chance to talk about Empire of Light next week. Spoiler alert. Also, oh, the latest from Will Smith is next week called Emancipation. Memories of My Father. I am D.B. Cooper. N.R. 10. Black Warrant. And Second Chance. Okay, that's next week. But what about this week? How do you like a head-busting Santa Claus? In Violet Night or uh, Tilda Swinton times two in The Eternal Daughter. Uh, let's keep talking about it. Anything you've seen lately, you can always find us to keep the conversation going on Twitter. It's easy at madwolf.com. Also on Facebook and Instagram, that is madwolfcolumbus. And the main website with all of our written reviews and our other horror movie only podcast called Fright Club. You can find that all there at madwolf.com. So keep in touch. Uh, hope you're having a great holiday season. We will talk. Oh, we will not talk next week. 
because we're going on a little vacation. That's right, we come are. on, come on. Uh, so we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Enjoy the movies. And until then, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>